If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone, to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in Memphis, Tennessee. A little cool, but I love it cool. It's not just cool. It's so, cold. Wherever you are, I'm sure it's a lot colder just in other places than, than in Memphis, Tennessee. I, lo- I love the cool weather. I've been out there with my dogs and just working 100% and not even breaking a sweat. I love it. It is great, isn't it? I tell you what, there's nothing like it. The dogs are energized by it. I'm energized by it. And Wow, let's talk about it on the show. Let's get energized for the show. Today, we are talking about the pool of meaning. The pool of meaning. What does it mean to have a pool of meaning? Uh, it's like anything. If you pull your money together, if you, it's, it, as far as we're concerned, as far as the show is concerned, it's about pulling ideas, about making solutions and creating solutions and, and not just addressing problems by themselves, but that's part of the process is just collectively having goodwill and a good intentions and something that we want to move forward. And by golly, that is what the pet industry needs as a whole. It just really does, regardless whether it's training, doesn't matter. The pet industry is a $70 billion year economic powerhouse. And I do mean powerhouse. It has never suffered from an economic downturn. And it employs slick marketing to convince you that its main objective is the welfare of your pet. However, welfare is defined as something that aids or promotes well-being, but it has a second definition, and it's also defined as a contented state of being happy and prosperous. So I think the pet industry as a whole uh, leans more on that second definition. So when you turn to a pet care professional for help regarding your relationship with your dog, which definition of welfare does that individual adhere to? Something that aids or promotes the well-being of your dog or the definition that is more concerned with that professional's state of happiness and financial success, or worse yet, their hidden agendas, meaning they're using their position and the platform of the pet industry to basically promote their agendas. And if the agendas are good, if you are sincerely trying to help dogs and build a a better relationship between human and dogs, awesome. However, if you're not, uh, not so good. So why do you need to know this? Why did I bother to make a radio show surrounding this? If, if you're driving down the road right now and you only dog, why do you need to know that the pen industry as a whole, uh, again, this is my professional opinion and also the professional opinion of many of my colleagues, is we're just seeing a little bit of backsliding here. I, I believe that it is due to a fact that's a very crowded market. You know, when everyone sees, woo, economic powerhouse, $70 billion a year, I want a piece of that pie. I want a piece. Well, it's a very crowded field. There are, I mean, you can't even go to a strip mall that you don't see a veterinary hospital there. Um, 50 million daycare centers, 50 million boarding centers. There's uh, companies now that are springing up left and right that come to your home and watch your dog out of your home. There's food delivery companies out there that are trying to compete with Amazon. 
there are 90 million trainers. There are 90 million rescues, uh, animal shelters, you name it. And a lot of these, I'm just going to be honest with you, and I can tell you this simply by their actions. You, it, it definitely calls into doubt what is it that you're trying to accomplish here. Are you really trying to help someone with their dog? Or are you simply trying to help you? And this is really important to know because mistakes in training, especially at an early age, especially at that early age, and with special needs dogs, it has lasting consequences. I kid you not, whatever you imprint before four months of age, that dog will never forget that. Never. So if it came out of the womb already suffering from a bit of a neurochemical deficiency, a genetic uh, abnormality, Wow, you do the wrong thing before four or five months of age. And I'm telling you what, that will have a lasting lifetime consequences. So, yeah, it's really important that you know whom to trust. And part of that is, you know, checking them out, making sure that they can do what they say they can do. They can walk that talk. But lately, I'm telling you what, a lot of the consumers out there, and, and again, this is just uh, on our own professional and personal feedback that we're receiving from clients and prospective clients. Not only that, but if you just hop online and you just get uh, download any sort of book, there's so much context, uh, content out there that talks all about the feedback that the industry is giving back and forth between these professionals and the consumer and the consumer and the professional. But what we're seeing now is, you know, that's to be expected in, in the industry. But I think the alarming thing for me, and I'm telling you, it's just been real recently, as of the last couple of years, we have people who are supposed to be professionals. I mean, I think of a professor, a professor at a college. Wow, what kind of re responsibility do you have? Not just to put out the information, not just to put out the facts, the facts surrounding any sort of science, but just to conduct yourself as a professional. You have to be a role model for those students. Amen. You do have to be a role model. So we're seeing professors. We're seeing professional trainers and pet owners that are acting in a way that is anything but professional. And they are launching attacks on anyone that goes, that does anything against their personal agendas. And I know they happen to be personal because when you do a test, uh, when you run this conduct by these individuals, by their respective institutions, you get a bit, bit of a feedback back from that saying, wow, that is not something that we uphold. That is not our attitude. That is not how we view it. Uh, so again, that means that that individual is not representing their institution, whether it be their um, university, whether it be their laboratory that, that they're employed, uh, and they're definitely not representing any sort of uh, professional trainers as a whole. And that's another problem. So when you, you know, so many times I, I tell people that professional dog training is lumped underneath one umbrella. It's kind of like you, if you need a plumber, you just look up plumber, not realizing, wow, there's all sorts of plumbers out there. There's plumbers that deal with the space shuttle, there's space lab, uh, there's shuttle uh, plumbers that deal with high rises, so on and so forth. So there's not just plumbers and there's not just an attorney and attorneys have many specialties. There's not just a doctor, many specialties. Well, same thing in professional training, but unfortunately they get lumped into the same heap, the same 
heap. So therefore, if this trainer says this, then it must be the way it is. But it could be, it's everything but that. And it really is. So when you are looking to hire the services or even to gather information about behaviors, especially behavior, but even just husbandry issues. How do I even feed my dog? Why should I feed my dog? Uh, should I leave it loose in the yard by itself? Should I leave it tied up? What should I do? I'm telling you, the first thing that you need to do in this day and time, there was probably a, a period about two decades ago where you didn't have to do so much of this. But I'm telling you nowadays, you need to look into it. You need to research this person's, this author's background, this trainer's background. And you need to dig a little deep. You need to look at their social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. What are they putting out there in the world? Do they have a personal Facebook versus a professional one? What are they putting on that? You'd be absolutely surprised. We have people who uh, will apply for a training position with us. And of course, over here to my left is Joshua, sitting there all quiet because he's a super sleuther or whatever you call yourself. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm telling you what, if you've got dirt, yeah. dirt's exposed. <laughs> it, I'm just telling you that right now, it is exposed and you'll be amazed at what we find. Mm -hmm. You just sit there, scratch your head and go, are you serious? And you applied, you actually applied for a job here and you put that out there. Um, you know, I kind of get that sometimes with people who, Again, don't hold positions, high positions of authority, positions over students and other, you know, in, in an academic situation. I just hold them to a higher regard because you're, you're supposed to be. After all, again, like you said, you're a role model. But one of the things that we're seeing is that one of the things I want you to look for, number one, what do they put out there? You know, check their references. If you if there's testimonials or um, any sort of reviews, again, reviews, you know, take those for what really they can be and what they cannot be. They can be evidence of a particular uh, professional or an institution doing a really good job, but they can also simply be a wooden block, meaning you can't please everyone. No matter how hard you try, you are not going to please everyone. There's going to be about 5% minimum of the public that is going to use you as a wooden block, as an outlet for frustration. They and could also be totally fake. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Again, if you if you don't agree with my personal agenda, well, let me just fake it that I actually had an experience with you. And of course, you can always tell those because they're super exaggerated. <laughs> they're like, whoa, why didn't you just stop short of, you know, my dog didn't do very well. But no, instead is, oh, you choked it. You made it almost die and all sorts of things. You turned into a pinata. It's just, yeah, you can read those all day long and go, yep, fake. Well, there's, there's something I read a long time ago that the more detailed something gets, the closer it gets to a lie because the human is not capable of remembering as many details as lies are able to come up with. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, so there's not a lot of detail in this uh, radio show today. Uh, it's pretty basic straight up in front of you there. So check that out. Uh, yeah, do look at some reviews, but if, you, if there's testimonials, make sure that the person who left it is real and kind of take the whole thing in a totality type situation. Look at it all. You know, again, if you got a, a bunch of really good reviews and then also in a couple of bad ones, let it go. Just kind of come up with an average there for that place. And then what I would tell you to do is contact them. 
Talk to them over the phone. Get a feel for that. Then maybe go visit in person. And then even, hey, select a service. Give it a shot. See what you feel. You know, I tell you, we're not dumb humans. There are so many humans that are very, very smart still that exist on this planet. And we were given guidance and internal guidance. You can tell. It's kind of like that thing, the pit of your stomach, the hair raising up on the back of your neck. There is at a point in this world in which it does not compute. You run it upside down, left, right. You do everything that you can, walk like a duck, quack like a duck, so on and so forth. And finally, something says, um, I'm, I'm not buying that. That's just not real. And whenever that hits you, let it go right then. Turn around and walk out that door as quick as you possibly can. Never looking left, never looking back. Don't even bother with the refund. Just leave. Lesson learned. All, like like you said, go with your gut. And when you go in to see these places, ask for a tour because one of three things will happen. They will say, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's go about the about the place. If they do that, then they obviously have nothing to hide. They're very proud of what they do. If they say, uh, yeah, let's set up an appointment for a tour, that's a red flag. And if they don't let you have a tour at all, that's an even bigger red flag. So there's little things that you can do to just kind of see the the professionals' transparency as far as how how proud of what they do um, with the animals. Amen. You know, and another red flag is if they cite 50 million studies, but they or they tell you about 50 million studies, but they don't cite them. Again, that is always the fallback of someone who is very insecure. They don't have the knowledge that they should possess if they're going to bother to charge you for the service that they are offering. They will say, well, according to research, according to science, according to this study, well, then ask them, well, what science? What study? When, where, how? Who is the author? What was their conclusion? And make sure they give you something that you can go look up. And let me go look it up myself and see if I interpret it the same way. Because not only will they not cite the study, but if even if they do, then they often will simply pluck from the studies, only those parts that remotely support their claim. Now, again, we could get into a big old shop right on a big soapbox and talk about how people do that with the Bible. They do it with the Quran. They do it with the Constitution of America. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We could get that going all day, every day. We could have a 52-week series on, on just that soapbox on how people will pluck out of it what they want. Don't get me started. Yeah. No, I'm not going to start here. Slide your card back. Um, but, you know, one thing that you need to understand that in any research, even if they do, even if they cite the research, they, the date, time, the author, you name it, so on and so forth, the conclusions, the challenges by the peers that were, were made, know this. A study is just that, a controlled experiment. Control, meaning we are going to set up conditions to see if it will produce something that we're looking for. We're looking for something. And anytime there's a study, keep in mind a couple of credos. One, an absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. You always have to keep that in your head. And in any study, did we overlook something? Was something overlooked? And did our test fit the species? Did it fit? So many tests nowadays lean on human. I get it. The dog is part of the mammalian class, but again, it is not our species. So therefore, comparisons that are made are mostly made at a physiological level, 
not at a behavioral level. Case in point, if 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 continuity wasn't the, the default, then why would we study fear in a rat's amygdala to determine how to help humans with phobias and fears? Uh, so there are some physical uh, continuity there, but again, mostly that's that's where we draw the line, not from a behavioral sense. Uh, so look at that. Then number then number three, see if they attack a lot of people. See if they're out there to attack. See if they got this really powerful agenda, and they're really out there, you know, stamping the grounds and and going to rallies and so on so forth. And look at their comments. See if they are the antagonist, and or if they are the defender. Because most of their attacks you'll find will be directed at anyone that, in, that adheres to any sort of training uh, that utilizes any sort of consequence, any sort of correction. Uh, and they'll be all over that. You will find that everywhere. They will do that everywhere. Uh, so it's easy to find. All you got to do is just do a little bit of like a bloodhound, sniff it out a little bit, and you will find it. About, I'd say... Eight or nine months ago, I went onto a, um, a Facebook group that was primary all positive, and I all I tried to do was was cross the aisle. I was very transparent that I was a balanced trainer, and I just had questions, and I wanted to have a conversation. And it started out really nice. They actually said, "Yes, this is the type of uh, behavior that we want to encourage. We want discussion." La da da da. And it wasn't maybe but eight or nine comments in before people started using the word abuse and people started using the word, you know, the, the, the force and, and all these ugly words to kind of make me seem bad. And, and I had to get out. I it was no longer within a discussion base. It was no longer ideas being passed, um, passed around. It was just attack me. You yeah. lost the pool of meaning. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, you've, you've now left the pool of meaning. You're not contributing anything of value at that point. You're simply attacking an individual. So look for that. Those are there. They stay there usually on the thread and you can find it. Uh, a lot of places to, to look for with that. And, you know, you, all, you always wonder why. Why, 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 why the attack? Because it was going so well. Mm -hmm. So why the attack? And all I can imagine is it's just frustration. I mean, imagine what it's like to believe something so with every atom in your body to only have it proved untrue. And, you know, and it does. I mean, it, it does. Um, and so therefore, when you're frustrated like that, you need an outlet. You need an outlet. Uh, but however much we may deplore something, it does not stop it from being true. Nature does not support their belief. But unfortunately, balanced training will always be in danger of being misunderstood by those people who cannot distinguish a statement of belief in what is the case from an advocacy of what it should be, what it ought to be. And that, that's the biggest thing. Just because you believe it so doesn't make it so, just because you do. So watch out for that. You know, I've used all positive training. You have, Joshua. You, Kara, you definitely have with the rats for sure. And it, it's quite amazing it, to a certain point, to just to a certain point. It makes training fun. They, they love food, uh, especially if they do love food. It's, it is great. I've used it. To, every dog trick I've ever taught, I used all positive. And I, again, I'm not one of these people who likes to use force free for many reasons because it's just not very accurate. So all positive means uh, that just all reward based. There's no consequence, no cost versus benefit. It's just all benefit. So it's great. So guys, if you're looking for a pet professional out there, 
and you've already done all these other things. Look at their studies that they they're proclaiming out there. You've checked their social media. Uh, they're not attacking a bunch of people. You've looked at their reviews and all those look sound so good so far and everything is good so far. Now you decide who you want to hire based upon what is your training goal, because the goal will determine the methodology that you should use best. If you want to train a dog trick, golly, go for it. Get, get a bunch of really delicious treats and just have a lot of fun doing it because there's no life or death consequence involved with that. It, it can be embarrassing if you brag to everyone that your dog can do a certain trick and then about the time they're all over for a party and you want to show off and the dog doesn't do it. And yeah, that's that's it. It's just embarrassing. Now you just go have a couple more beers and who cares? You know, at the end, I'll go away and I care about it. If I had a quarter for every time someone said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My dog knows how, how to down. And then they go to show me and they finally end up going, well, he does it really well at home. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Amen. And, you know, and I can attest to that. I, I've seen that myself. It just, like we always say, if you want a dog to be reliable, performing any behavior in any condition, then that behavior has to be trained in that condition. And you and I were talking about this at length yesterday, Josh, when I used the example, think of it like a, and I know these aren't out here anymore, but if back in the day, there's, there were these cameras and they actually had film in them. And it was a roll of film and it was 35 millimeter film. And by golly, if you exposed it and everything that you, all those pictures you took disappeared for forever, they became extinct. But think of training as one 35 millimeter frame after another. So the home training your dog at home is one frame. Training a dog at the park is one frame. Training the dog at someone else's home is one frame. Anytime you train a dog, Think of it like that. And you take around in your pocket, this little roll of film. And if you are outside of that, if you're suddenly presented with a frame in which the picture hasn't been taken yet, then you can't count that your dog will do. You can't count on it. There's a good chance, a high likelihood that they may not be as reliable in that new frame like they were in the existing frames. So you just kind of have to know that going into it. You can kind of even test this for yourself on a smaller scale. I mean, just teach your dog a new trick like, you know, like sit pretty or roll over or something like that. Just teach them that in your living room and then just go down the hall into your bedroom and ask them to do it even moments after you just asked them to do it. And they'll kind of look at you like, uh, maybe I, th I think I, I know. And it, that's just a smaller scale of what we're kind of talking about. Mm -hmm. But you can you can see that for yourself. It happened to me just the other day. Remember, I wanted to show you how Vesper would flip over on her back and let me roll, let me rub her belly. She had done it 15 times in here for me. Quick. I mean, it was amazing. I said, Joshua, watch. You've got to see what Vesper does. And, and so, of course, she wouldn't do it. And so what was the different film? What was the different frame? He was in there. There you go. <laughs> yep. It can be as simple as that. There you go. There was all there was, was there was a frame in that film in which Joshua was not there and suddenly he is there and now no yeah, guarantee. She flipped me the canine bird. <laughs> yeah. So kind of keep that in mind as well. So again, as you're looking for these uh, individuals, make sure that a, what, if your goal is something that really doesn't matter, if it's just a dog trick or whatever, then yes, go with that all positive. However, if you need your dog to respond reliably in 
many and in a very big role, a big role that has everything from national parks to my friend's house to the cafe. I want my daughter to do a downstay because we want to have dinner. You name it. Whatever it is, if you need your dog to be reliable, you need your dog to perform the behaviors every time within those given frames in which you already established those commands and those responses, then guys, you're going to have to use a balanced approach. And I don't need to get into too much of that. It just is what it is. There is no holy grail of treats and there's no holy grail of balls and toys to play with a dog. There are none. Again, it's something as simple as just rubbing her belly. All it took was Joshua to show up and the behavior is no longer reliable. So when you're out there in the world and you're especially dancing around these new frames out there, everything out there in those new frames, everything that's in there competes with you. They are competing motivators, competing with you. Why? Why should I come back to you when I can rush up to the dog that is being uh dragged around or, or is pulling his owner on a leash. Why can't I do that? Why can't I just stay at the dog park? I'm not ready to leave just yet. Why should I come? So you're going to have to, there has to be something that says, well, I get it. I know you want to keep playing, but here's the deal. It's time to go. And we must go right now. You know, I don't mean to beat this, this dead horse, but I have a, a story of a horse. So I think it's, it works. Um, but this is, this is a reason right here why why this is so important of what we're talking about, because I know it sounds like we're saying, okay, every new place you have to go to, you have to retrain your dog. And that's not necessarily true. It's once you've done it, I would say in four or more parks, a park is a park is a park is a park. Once you've trained in four or more patios, a patio is a patio is a patio. And this is a prime example of what something that, that is very important because I have, again, everybody knows Vesper, my Belgian Malinois, very, very well trained in the park setting because we frequent parks. Well, when she was about a year old, we were in a park for the thousandth time and she was doing fantastic. And we were going down a trail and all of a sudden there was a trail ride of horseback riders that were coming up the, up the trail. First time she's ever seen a horse in her entire life. Well, she takes off running after that horse and I'm calling her back and she's not coming back. So I reach for my remote caller and I hit that button and she goes, oh, yes, and turns around and comes running back. And I use that story all the time to explain what if I didn't have that remote caller? What if I wasn't able to use some level of haptic signal to stop her? I just, I would have endangered her life. I would have endangered the people on those horseback's lives. I would have endangered the horse's lives simply because I wouldn't have been willing to just press that button. And I just use that all the time because again, we've been in a thousand parks. Very first time there was a horse in that park. All of a sudden, all the training went out the window. But now we're awesome around horses. <laughs> you know, we, Brian and I have a very similar story. We were visiting my parents and we, we walk Captain off-leash all the time. He's an incredibly smart dog, very well-trained. And we were going in a new place on a new trail. And for some reason, this guy walked up, um, scared Captain, and he just lost it. I mean, he was gone, gone. And we didn't have the remote collar on him like we should have and had no way to touch him as he's hightailing it. Who We didn't know where. And oh, my gosh. But he's so smart. He <laughs> ran back to my parents' house and he was waiting at their gate. Yeah, and that was two and miles away. He, and he, miles. Had, he had never been on this trail before. It was seriously the most amazing thing that I have ever seen. Yeah. So there you go. You know, and you, you have to have the ability to control your dog because life will throw at you on that particular day. Captain has 
walked by 9 million people. We took him on a book tour, 47 different cities, you name it. He's been around, oh my gosh, any type of human you can even imagine. But on that day, on a new trail, jogger, wearing a hoodie, hood was up, and immediately it just changed his profile. And it scared him. And again, again, I can talk all day long about what happens when your stress response gets to a certain point. You are now in implicit memory land. You're in procedural land. You're on autopilot. And that's what Captain did. He went into full autopilot. He was gone. He wasn't here to work come. But by golly, had we had something that could have touched that right at that moment, reached, reached through that fog right then, we probably could have gotten back to us. But fortunately, it all worked out well. He, I don't know how he figured it out, but he went right back to your parents' house and had never been on that trail, never done that before in his life. So getting the power of dogs. Okay. So, um, so that's that, uh, that's all the time I'm going to spend on, on that. Um, you know, what we need and what you need to do as a pet owner is listen back to rewind what I've just talked to you about so far. I'm not going to go down and list them again, because we want to talk about some other important things. Go through those steps. Take those steps. We tend to say, oh, my gosh, my dog just pulled me down. I've had it. I'm going to hop on Google real quick. And the very first training place that pops up organically, that's who I'm going to call. And I'm going to sign up. Guys, that might have worked about 20 years ago. Uh, was Google around 20 years ago? No. Then again, okay. <laughs> okay, well. Back when it first came out. <laughs> so that being when there was only one page, you look at dog training, it was, there was only one page. There wasn't 999 pages. Uh, but do your homework. Slow down. Breathe. Check it out. Determine what your goal is. That, that will then determine the methodology that you should employ. If it's obedience, balanced. If it's dog tricks or just some sort of husbandry things, you can get away with the, the force-free or all-positive. Uh, but even in husbandry, yeah, no, so you just got to watch out for it. So guys, just do that and and you'll be fine. Um, again, just be careful. If you got someone out there that's, that's attacking everyone or another one we were talking about right before the show, acronyms. Mm. That, that just kind of gets me a little bit. When you see someone and they have gotten basically every letter of the alphabet uh, forming various acronyms behind their name. For me, that's a red flag. I, it just is. I'm just sorry. I've worked with uh, in the military and, and other places in which you work with the one percenters of the world. And no, they, they'll be, they don't talk about it. They, they don't have to. And that's the biggest thing is if you see people who are not out there attacking other people, then these are very secure human beings. They know what they're doing. They know they have results that they can rely upon. They don't need to brag. They don't need to, to do that. Uh, you know, you can have your diplomas and hang those and stuff like that. And I've got some right behind me back here. I have a few because they, they're nostalgic and they bring up memories. But outside of that, I just really don't talk about it very much. I remember much. when I was applying for working with Taming the Wild and I was sitting there with my wife and I was like, do I put my certifications on there? Cause I don't care about them, but maybe they care about them. <laughs> and I remember going back and forth going, but does he care that I'm certified? Because it doesn't really mean anything. And <laughs> going back and forth. And I remember putting all three of them. I was like, that just looks stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. So now you're here. Otherwise that, that could have been a defining moment right there. Now get rid of the guys insecure, whatever. <laughs> all right, guys, uh, we're going to get ready to take a break here. And then we're going to come back. We have some questions that we need to answer that have come in from our listeners. 
Hope that helped you a little bit in making the decision as to what you want to do with your dog and how you want to get it trained and who to watch out for and who not to watch out for. If you have any other questions, you know where to send them. Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com. All right, we're going to take about a two-minute break, and we'll come right back and get into these questions. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, send an email to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now, back to the show. All right, welcome back, everyone. We just wrapped up uh, talking about the pool of meaning, and we want to stay out of the pool of meaning. We want to get into the pool of meaning, and the only way that's going to happen is if pet care professionals, people in this industry who provide services to dog owners, to pet owners, we must come together. We must bring everything good, everything that is factual into a pool. And see if we can work through some things and come come up with some commonality because we do have it. It is there. And, and that's not going to happen when people feel like they're being attacked and they're always on the defensive. When you attack somebody, they don't have any time to help anyone. They're too busy trying to save them their, their own professional lives because they make their living doing that. And they, they can't and they've got to pay bills and they have kids in school just like you do. So, again, be professional. Let's bring it to a pool of meaning. And, you know, I just want to everybody stop and think for just a second. It feels so much better to be kind and helpful than it feels when you're attacking someone. I know for me personally, when I have a confrontation with someone, my heart starts racing, my blood pressure goes up, my face gets flushed, and that's not a good feeling. It feels horrible. But when I'm helping someone and I'm being kind to them, that's a feeling that will last you so much longer. Yeah. You know, and, and keep in mind one more last thing. And then we're on these questions. That's a human. That's a parent. Probably it's someone struggling out there to make a living. And even if I don't believe in what they're doing, my golly, if they're just doing it with everything that they have and they're trying to do the best that they can have, then anyone like that, it would be 
open and receptive to any sort of input that says, hey, have you thought about this? Can I show you? Can I just show you? Can you come hang out with me for a couple of days? And let me, sh- let me show you. Uh, yeah, that's what we need to do. The pool of meaning. That, that's the only way this thing's going to quit backsliding because it, it really is. It's gotten to a point where that's all you ever talk about anymore as a trainer is, hey, I have to defend myself against these people attacking me. And when I could re- really be spending more time writing a blog, I could be working more on my book and so on and so forth. It's enough's enough. Be a professional. Act like a professional. You may not agree, but let's uh, start working together. All right, Kira, let's answer some questions here. What do we have? Good deal. Okay. Is there a way to allow a dog to walk without the heel command? There are times I would like Murphy to walk on a leash, but not have to be right on my hip. Heck yeah. That's what we do. I mean, uh, I think of heel as more of a formal type walking. And it really was designed to help you and your dog uh, as, as a unit, the both of you as a unit, to weave your way through crowded uh, conditions. And maybe there's a lot of people, there's a lot of obstacles. It definitely helps to that. It does not work when you go on one side of a telephone pole and the dog goes on the other side and you had that little meeting at the other end there. That's happened to me more than a few times. Uh, and it also helps that you're not pulled by your dog because they don't know any difference. They typically want to go on a straight line, uh, go out in front of you or lag behind you. And those scenarios just don't work out very well for walking. So, yes, there is a formal heel and there's a time for your dog to take up a position relative to your body that is very close to either side of you, your left leg or your right leg. And stay close and be right there until you look up ahead. There's nothing coming. You look behind. There's nothing coming. Wow. Now you can give what's called a loose heel. You know, we'll tell our dogs free. And it's then they learn. You know, this free under these conditions, meaning we are moving, has limitations. It means I can't pull you, and it means I do have to stay on one side of your body, but I don't have to remain right next to your leg. I can wander over here a little bit and check the P-mail, and they always want to do that. Hey, who who was here earlier today? They want to explore the world, all the smells and animal tracks, everything. So, yeah, there is a way. Just make sure that you can have two different commands and there's two different conditions under those commands. You can have your strict formal heel. And I always recommend teaching that first. Get that down first because that's a need. I, I need that. Then you can come up with something that says, let's go. Free, easy, parade rest, whatever. <laughs> you know, you can just come up with anything. And it simply means you're now allowed to leave my side. You can go up ahead of me a little bit if you want to. You can go up behind me a little bit if you want to. I would just kind of keep it this like like I do. You're not allowed to pull me and you don't get to trade sides. Oh, you know, you're not going to trip me up here. Outside of that, when I need you to get back close to me again, I'll let you know. Until then, I'm going to enjoy my walk. You enjoy yours. You've always got to think about these commands as tools. That's really all it comes down to is tools. So if if you want your dog to heal next to you the whole walk, well, go ahead, use that tool the entire time of that walk. But it's really just a tool for control. That's all you got. It always comes back down to. But I think if if you want to teach your dog not to enjoy walks, make them heal the entire walk all well, the yeah. way around the block. You're not I mean, going to enjoy it either. You're yeah, just not no, going to enjoy no. it. But you need to practice this thing. So many times we've really practiced that formal heal all the time, but we don't practice the informal heal. 
that needs to be a, 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 its own command with its own requirements. It really does. So do practice that, but please do it. Uh, I highly recommend it. I do not. I, no, there is no dog that's going to even remotely enjoy its walk uh, for two miles in an absolute perfect heel looking at you. They may do it, but again, they've tested rats in a cage. And when, they, when it was able to run on a wheel on its own, its stress response was lowered. But when they made it run on a wheel, stress response went through the roof. Same thing with your dog. So don't let that happen. Enjoy your walk. Allow your dog to explore its world, getting all that predictive information, learning how to control itself, and have a lot of fun. Just turn it into two separate behaviors. And there you go. Next. Next. Yeah. My dog paws me when I pet her. Is she petting me back? <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> the rats okay. do that all the time. All right. it's, just, it's a good question. I just have to laugh a little because all these <laughs> mental images that are going in my head and this dog is pawing you back and petting you back. And some humans probably bending their head over and, <laughs> and saying a little bit to the left over here. Can you get the spot right over here? And all of a sudden they're on their back and the their paw in the human's belly. Captain does it. <laughs> oh my. Okay. We're not going to go there. Um, yeah. Okay. He's my dog. Just keep that in mind. Uh, no, I don't think your dog is petting you back. This goes back to global specific behaviors. Anytime you have a social society and you don't have language, then you will use other means to communicate to that other member of that social society. Uh, pawing you back is typically face pawing. If your face is closed, they'll, they'll do it more in the upper part of your body, your chest, your shoulders, near your face, they'll paw at it. That is a, an animal's way, uh, especially with a dog or a wolf, and it comes from the wolf behavior. Face pawing is, think of it like touching a live wire. Mm. It, it's testing. Uh, you okay? We good? Uh, and so in other words, I'm going to reach out here with my paw and touch you and make sure everything is good. You're not in a bad mood. You didn't get stuck by a porcupine or something like that before I commit my entire body into this uh, and get right up next to you. So many times, even though a dog may be very comfortable with its owner, they will paw back simply because they're picking up on some sort of signal from that owner. Maybe a mood that they're in and one moment they're sitting there all angry and all upset about something and the dog comes over and they reach over and pet the dog and the dog starts pawing back. It's normally just testing a live wire. Is the wire dead or is the wire a little bit humming or is it hot? Uh, that's most cases. And then, of course, if you ever teach your dog to shake, oh, uh, well, enjoy that because that will turn into an OCD behavior in the blink of an eye. Oh. Now, all of a sudden, you just turn into a vending machine. So this dog comes up and touches and touches and touches. And eventually, you will respond. You, yeah, <laughs> One way or another, some dogs, you know, they, they want that social support so badly. You know, on a real serious note here, they will touch that live wire even if you yell at them, even if you want to punish them, they'll take it because it's contact. It's some sort of contact. Yeah. Consider yourself lucky if your dog is pawing on you because one of my dog's nose punches and it kind of hurts. Just <laughs> hit you real hard with their nose. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Go go for the paw unless there's long claws on yeah, there that need to have a trimmed. nail trim. Yeah. Keep, keep those things trimmed there. Uh, okay. So if your dog does that and you don't want your dog to do that, then, of course, uh, a couple of ways to make that thing go away. Number one, uh, you could, it, it just all depends on how long the dog's been doing it for. You could completely ignore it anytime there's no benefit assigned with any behavior. 
uh, then the behavior will extinguish. But know this, if the dog is used to doing this and getting feedback, getting that behavior has been reinforced in the past, you may go through what's called an extinction module. And that's where the behavior will increase drastically as the animal becomes more and more frustrated. Wait a minute, I'm pulling you. I'm pulling you. I swear I'm pulling you. And it will escalate rapidly. This is and, when they start standing up on you. And, yeah, and, I mean, yeah, just rapidly. And, and you have, if you're going to go for an extinction module, then that means that there is the absolute absence of any reinforcer. You cannot respond in any sort of way whatsoever. Not even a glance, not even a head nod in that direction. You compl- Your dog is not even there. So therefore, those are very difficult. I kind of get a little bit more pro- proactive. Hey, no, stop it and push the dog off. And if the dog comes back, then keep doing that. And then maybe just get up and walk away, walk out of the room, uh, become interested in something else. Uh, all of those things work. You can be a little bit more proactive by pushing the animal off, saying no, and how hard you push off. The dog will determine that because if you push and they paw you back again, then that's just a clear signal that you need to raise the signal back. That wasn't enough. So th- that'll make it go away. Gotcha. Okay. So we have a question that came in on our Facebook page that I think is a good one. And this is from Carol. And she says, our border collie thinks I'm his human. He doesn't want any other human near me. He's very protective. And when my grown kids and my grandkids come around, he becomes aggressive, barking and growling. He doesn't bite, but he does nip at people and has struck out and nipped one of the grands on their finger. She says, I suck at training and have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm willing to learn. Wow. That's very, honestly, that's, that's common with a lot of the herding breeds. Uh, look at Captain. If Captain is in daycare, he's our Australian cattle dog. If I walk out there, it is game over. Right then and there, any dog that even remotely starts heading my direction, Captain's after him. He's after him. Uh, dogs will possess humans just like some dogs will possess food. They'll possess a bone, a spot on the bed, a spot on the sofa. They will possess humans. These herding breeds, especially border collies and these cattle dogs, they're very one owner type dogs. Didn't you just say that this morning? Uh, you know, why does Captain love you so much? And yes. he's really my dog. Yeah, I hate <laughs> to say it. Uh, Captain can, can stay at the house all day long with Kira. But when I come home, her name is Skip. I mean, right then and there, it's just that is very typical of that breed. Uh, think about it from a genetic standpoint, from a selective pressure standpoint. We wanted that. It was one shepherd. It was one cowboy. It was just one worker. And the animal had to work with that particular person. I have to go get that group of animals over there and herd them all over here and then in this pen. So we created that. We created animals who are used to and naturally only want to work with one person. And once they have that person and they're comfortable with them, they feel acceptance, then that becomes their BFF for life. It just does, regardless of how nice the other person is. I mean, you're way nicer to him than I am. Heck yeah. I mean, I just, it is straight up. <laughs> I, I, I'm more businesslike, but you no, know, Tell you what, if he had to pick, if we both walked out the door and I went Don't right and, and you went left, I'm sorry, he's going with me. You know it. <laughs> it is what it is. I'm just we're factual here on this show. So now, what do you do about it? Because now that I explained that you're right. Your dog can possess you. Okay, a couple things here. When Captain was going after all the dogs, for example, in daycare, I made him lay down, stay, and then I simply moved away. Done. 
over. I would really practice a really good down coupled with a great stay in a great place and say to the dog, you can be over here while I'm over here with my grandkids and my other friends and so on and so forth. And after a period of time, once these people are there, then the dog typically, the, 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 the novelty of it wears off very quickly. And, and I really don't care as much. And I see that you're not going to cart off my owner. You didn't come in here to steal her and take her away. They will settle down. They, they really will. But you're going to have to force that in the beginning. You're going to have to tell the dog, I love you, death, but tell you what, you're going to lay down over here and you're going to stay while I go to the door and answer that door. And while I have my grandchildren and my friends around me, definitely do that. Have a rock solid stay, rock solid place where they are made to lay on a cot or a mat. I'm telling you what, get on there. Don't leave there. And they're smart enough to learn that until I tell you to, period. And this, this will start to go away. I mean, it'll never be that, that close bond that you have with your dog, that possessiveness, that'll never go away. Uh, but I'd also want you to look at one thing for me, Carol. There's a fine line between what we have, possibly what you have with your dog, what I have with Captain. There's a fine line between I dig you, I'm comfortable with you, you are my human versus I need you. I must have you. You are my life ring in a stormy sea. And without you, I'm going to drown. You know, it's natural for, for social animals to have what's called a secure base attachment, but it's usually attached to youth while they're growing up. Nature put that in place and, hey, don't wander off too far, wolf cub. Hey, little girl, don't wander off from mama too far. But you notice when they become teenagers, it's not enough to drive me to the mall anymore. You need to drop me off in the North 40 so no one sees that you drove me to the mall. They, they gather their independence. Dogs do, wolves do, humans do, and they finally go away. And they're now able to protect their own offspring. So typically, SBAs are attached to youth. If your dog is older, watch out for that. Because if you have a dog that's so clingy, and I won't let anyone near you, and I'm always with you, and I have to be with you. Okay, now we just stepped into a different realm in which we will probably have to treat that through both a therapy uh, standpoint and a chemical standpoint as well. And that's very involved, and I'll, I'll save that for another show. Gotcha. And Carol, I'm not sure where you are located, but if you need help teaching a good down or a good place, you, you can always call on us to do a um, video conference, or we have some obedience training guidelines on our website that are available videos for sale. So yeah, absolutely. With stuff like that, that. Uh, it can definitely help you. Uh, don't have to touch you or your dog. Uh, we can do it video wise, uh, get it done. Yep. Okay. You think we have time for another one? Wait, probably uh, the next one. Uh, I wouldn't say the fourth one. Fourth okay. one's a little bit more involved. Okay. So I have heard of the term double leash training. What does that mean? And how is it used in dog training? You want to jump on that, Joshua? <laughs> well, <laughs> in what behavior are we talking about? Because it is used in a lot of different ways. But well, first um, of all, explain what it is. What is double leash? What do they mean by that? Double leash training is what normally comes down typically with two trainers, two leashes, and one dog. Um, and in broad scope, it's basically designed in order to prevent the dog from making um, big mistakes that it would remember that it can make again in the future. Amen. Basically what it comes down to. Yeah. That, and you hit the key word around here. We use this, that term big mistake. Uh, in the very beginning of training, we do everything that we can to never let the mistake be a big one. Uh, 
A big one would be case in point, getting, breaking a downstay, traveling about 10 feet, and now having to be taken all the way back to that spot. Uh, once they learn that they can do that, then that's a harder thing to, to make really go away. So let's just don't learn that right off the bat. So a lot of times uh, we'll double line dogs, put a long leash connected to one human, a long leash connected to another human. And it's kind of like X marks the spot. Mm. So now we, we're working on downstay. The dog's already learned down. It's already learned stay. But now we're going to do this under distractions that would cause the dog to want to jump up and run 10 feet or out the door. Now the dog gets up. If it starts to run away from me, I can apply a little pressure on the line and the dog can no longer take a step in that direction. But now if all of a sudden it does a U-turn and now comes in my direction, which a lot of animals will, they'll break the, the command coming toward you, then Joshua stops the dog from doing that. And through basically almost like a seesaw motion, the animal is made to remain exactly X marks the spot. So no big mistake which means we're now headed into the pool of meaning with the dog. They're actually really learning to remain exactly where we put them. Once the dog makes that, that mistake and we kind of prevent them from doing so, we get that point across that you're not really able to go anywhere. And then that's when we re-engage the dog. Okay, go ahead and lie back down, lay down. And then the dog is convinced I'm not able to go two feet that way or two feet that way. So I'm just going to remain here and wait for that clear signal that I'm okay to get up. Amen. Absolutely. That's part of training. Just don't allow big mistakes. And that's what that does. And by the way, if you don't have two people, you can back tie the dog. We, we've done that to a tree, whatever, what have you. And now you're at the opposite end of that line. If the dog gets up, and you can just apply a little pressure and make the dog stay right there. One caution, cautionary note about double leashing a dog and using two long lines in training. Never jerk the leashes. Never snap them. Never jerk. It is a steady, continual, slow pressure. That's kind of like two, someone holding, like Kira pulls my right arm, Joshua pulls my left arm. They're keeping me immobile. I'm, I'm, I'm stuck right here on this spot. That's how you do it. Otherwise, you could have some vertebrae issues, especially if it's connected. Um, you know, if the leashes are connected to their neck, you one force pulls this way, another force pulls that way, suddenly and drastically with a lot of force, and you could have a problem doing that. So go easy. Uh, your dog will tell you how much you need to do. And slip collars only, no prong collars <laughs> or anything like that. Amen. Okay, guys, uh, next week, next week, we the topic of our radio show will be what would happen to dogs if all the humans disappeared? Would it be a party? Would they, would they say, yeah, thank God we finally got rid of all these darn furless bipeds? Or does something else happen? Do, do some breeds become extinct? What happens there? And we'll talk about why should you know this? Why should we know this as dog owners? So, all right, guys, we'll be talking about that next week. And, of course, answering a whole bunch of questions. But until then, you guys have a great week. And we'll see you back here. Same time, same channel, you name it. We'll be ready to roll. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.